America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Would you build a house without a foundation? Would you have a child and not name it? Would you let a stranger squat on your property? No, of course not. So why should the internet be any different? Every week, speak with top domain experts. Learn how to make money with domains. Know your legal rights. Each week, join our expert host to be master of your domain. Right here on Domain Masters. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Domain Masters. I'm Monty Khan, your host. Just have a great show lined up tonight. I'm uh, fortunate to have John Battelle on. John was the former founder and chief editor for the Standard Media and uh, also for Wired Magazine. And uh, we're going to talk to him about what he sees in the past of the Internet and uh, in the future of the Internet. I saw him speak at the Webmaster World Conference in New Orleans a couple weeks ago. And he's got some great insight on what's going on in the Internet today and where it's going and uh, has a book out and everything. And uh, I have Ron Jackson on after that to uh, update us on his latest cover story about Christopher Chenna, who's a, a big domain purchaser and who spent uh, basically over half a million dollars in domain names the last couple of weeks uh, buying domain names and uh, talk about the cover story and also what's going on in the domain name sales arena. So hang on with me for a couple minutes. We're going to pay some bills, do a couple commercials, and we'll be back on with John Battelle. So they got pretty good food here, huh? Uh-huh. Listen, I just got a new check from a program I joined. Oh, yeah? What effective CPM are they paying you? Pass the salt. Not sure. They just Send me a check, not a detailed breakout. Are you joking? No. There's lots of ways to make money, but you need to be the master of your own destiny. With ValueClick Media, I instantly adopted a national sales force that delivers recognizable ads with high CPM payouts. Mm. Plus, their new interface lets me control the ads I want to run and mm. tells me how much I earn from each advertiser. Wow. And that's how better pass the pepper. Wow. Thanks for the tip. I'm going to give ValueClick Media a try. Join the ad network publishers trust most. Apply today at ValueClickMedia.com. Contrary to what your mother told you, you cannot be all things to all people. You can, however, focus on your primary business and ensure your success by outsourcing technical projects to a company who is forward-thinking, solutions-oriented, and works as a complete extension of your organization. No need to do it over and over again. SRK Consulting can develop integrated automation programs, programming in most major languages and operating systems. SRKConsulting.com, making sure your mother is always proud. Do you sell a product or service with monster potential in the online market? Then attack the opportunity to turn your dreams into reality. Equipped with flexible e-commerce software from MonsterCommerce.com, you'll possess complete control of your store, including your storefront's design, maintenance of your products, and management of your online orders, and all with the technical support and service. Available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Grow your business today with MonsterCommerce.com. Commercials off. Now back to Domain Masters. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Domain Masters. My first guest tonight is uh, John Battelle. John is an entrepreneur, a journalist, professor, and author who has founded or co-founded businesses, magazines, and a lot of websites. Um, again, he's uh, responsible for the industry standard from uh, Standard Media. He was the former CEO or is the former CEO and chairman of that media publisher and also the former uh, co-founder and editor-in-chief uh, for Wired Magazine. John recently completed uh, work on a forthcoming book called uh, The Search, uh, Business and Culture in the Age of Google. John, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. I know it was uh, kind of a hectic schedule for you, and I know you're uh, pretty busy. So I really um, uh, enjoyed seeing you at Webmaster World and listened to you speak. You were the keynote speaker, and uh, the reason why I thought it was good to have you on the show is because we have an audience of uh, several hundred Internet folks, domainers, uh, webmasters, and SEOs, and uh, your outlook on the Internet is something that I think is important to people and people can gain a lot from. And so I'd really like to pick your brain uh, for the next 20 or 30 minutes and find out where you came from on the Internet and where you see the Internet going and how it might uh, relate to the folks that are listening. Great. So give me a little bit, just a brief history about how you got involved and got onto the Internet and uh, when it was, and let's fast forward it into where you see things going and how people that are listening might get benefit from what you see as the future of the Internet. Sure. Well, I'm uh, one of the few fortunate folks not only to have begun my career in San Francisco Bay Area where a lot of this action began, but to have done it at a time when a couple sort of key communities were forming uh, in the mid-'80s. One of them was the community around the Apple Macintosh, which was introduced in 1984, and another was a community around a little online service called The Well, which was really a prototypical kind of online community where people were very, very passionate about any number of issues, and this was all done just sort of, you know, by the standard, you know, bulletin board system dial-up kind of approach to networking prior to the web. And I was both a participant and an observer in both those cultures, and in the late 80s began covering both those cultures as a technology reporter for a trade magazine. I sort of thought that there was something much bigger going on with technology and its impact on culture than was being reported in the mainstream press. And so I went back to graduate school to focus on getting the tools to tell those stories, and I went uh, in journalism. And when I got out, I had an idea to start a magazine, but no idea how to. And that magazine was wired, and I was fortunate to sort of end up connecting with a gang of folks, and uh, in particular the CEO who had already secured some funding. And so we launched that in the early 90s to cover the story of technology and culture, and that really took off. I think we had one mention of the World Wide Web in the first issue, which was January of 1993. And by the second issue, uh, it was clear that this was kind of the centerpiece of, of the conversation. And by later in the 90s, 1996 and seven, I had kind of come to the conclusion living in the San Francisco Bay Area and seeing a lot of my friends starting companies in the web space that this internet thing was here to stay. So I left Wired to start the industry standard to cover the impact of the internet on business. We chronicled the bubble and uh, were sort of part of it in a way as well. The, the magazine was the fastest growing magazine in the history of publishing and probably the fastest to blow up as well, and uh, I remember back in the uh, good old days, I used to get the updates, uh, you know, on a daily basis via email from the Standard, and always was real interested in what was going on. So, uh, I mean, it, it really kept everybody that was in the early stages of the, I guess, in the boom and the bust, what was yeah. going on with everybody. <laughs> well, Wired actually in 1994 started Hotwired, which is one of the first commercial online publishing ventures, and we introduced the banner as a standard way of providing advertising revenue, and that was either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your point of view. <laughs> uh, we also had a, a search engine which we launched in 1995 called Hotbot, which was popular during the period of time when search was 
sort of ascendant. Right. All that was sold to Lycos shortly after I left. But I was quite aware of and thinking hard about search and online media uh, even back then. And I put a lot of that thinking into the business plan for the industry standard, which worked very well for the first three years and very poorly for the last year and a half. <laughs> and when everything blew up in 2001, uh, kind of retreated back to Berkeley. And it had been 10 years since I graduated from graduate school. And I was teaching there. And when I started doing some classes on blogging. And uh, I sort of viewed at that time blogging very much to be just an online publishing medium, very much like those which we had done at Wired in the Standard. And I sort of treated it that way. And as, as things came along, I recognized that there were some things about it that were quite unique. And uh, I got fascinated with that. And at the same time with search, which is sort of the two are cousins because of how driven they are by links. And I wrote a book about that with Google as the sort of driver of the narrative. And in the process of doing all that work, came up with the idea for the business that I'm starting now, which is called Federated Media and is a sort of a publishing platform for bloggers who are serious about what they are doing and have brought together a significant audience. You have a unique approach with this new venture when it comes to blogging. And um, I remember seeing your presentation, but um, you've kind of tied in multiple parties together to make this new vision of yours, what I see is uh, going to be something that's going to be very successful. Can you uh, just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Thank you. I, I certainly hope it will be. I had sort of begun to notice that the one thing that was very different about blogging was that it fulfilled some of the hand-waving and promises uh, from a new media theorist point of view in the late 1990s. In other words, the Internet was going to provide a uh, low-cost alternative to traditional media models in terms of cost acquisition of readers, cost of distribution, cost of manufacturing, marketing, and all those kinds of hard costs which drive traditional media you know, on the expense line to have to adopt business models which are, are very aggressive in terms of ownership of intellectual property and in terms of their relationship to authors. So the old mainstream model of media is one where you start a magazine, for example, and the first thing you do is hire writers, and they work for you, and you own their words, and you then use them as a way to gather an audience, and once you've gathered the audience, you then go over to the advertiser and you say, I'd like to sell you this audience, and the advertiser argues with you about how much you want to sell it for, <laughs> and you beg and plead and get on your knees and promise fancy dinners and bottles of champagne if only they will buy. Finally, they either do or they don't, and by then you've spent $10 million and I'm not kidding. That's about the average cost of a monthly magazine startup. And that's very risky. So you get a very conservative industry, basically, and that's the publishing industry in a nutshell. And I noticed that in the blogging world, after a few years, um, some voices were really starting to stand out as uh, extremely well thought of. They had gathered either very large audiences or very influential audiences or both, and they had spent not a dollar on any of those things that you might normally spend money on in a traditional media model. I was fortunate enough to be asked to help Boing Boing, a popular blog, about a year and a half ago, figure out its business model because its success had gotten to the point where its bandwidth, the hosting bill, had started to make the partners who were writing Boing Boing for part-time journalists worry that they couldn't put food on their table because the bandwidth bill had gotten up to about a thousand bucks. And um, <laughs> they all you know, were doing this as sort of part-time passion and there was no money coming in because of it, right? So I helped them figure out an advertising model and I noticed you know, these guys had, at the time I joined them, about half a million unique visitors a month and that's almost two million now. And they were turning something like eight or ten million page views. And I said, Jesus, you know, at its best, best month, the business I built, the standard.com, uh, at its best month did a half a million visitors and ten million page views. And I spent $16 million to build that. And these guys have done it for about 1000 bucks a month. 
which uh, was basically you know, hosting fees and uh, just hosting fees. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. You know, I mean, I think they maybe paid sixty bucks to you know to six apart for a movable type license, or maybe they actually didn't. <laughs> right, sure. right, right. We're paying them now, but so I thought to myself, well, uh, gee, this is interesting. It's a new successful approach to publishing, which has some business model implications. And I thought to myself, well, what might a publisher look like in this era? And I thought of myself really, in Boing Boing's case, as a band manager, as opposed to an um, owner, right? So what I did was help them, the musicians, do what they do best. And I managed the stuff that they maybe didn't want to do or weren't good at, like advertising, business development, figuring out strategy with regards to brand extension or or whatever, as well as help them think through some of the issues on the technology side, the partner side, you know, how do you work with the yahoos of the world? Should you optimize your site for search? How do you think about, you know, issues of which platform you might use for your back end and so on and so forth? Those issues are, if you look at it from the sort of metaphor of a, a music label, those are the things that a music label does for a band, right? They'll provide access to a studio so the musicians can go into the studio and the musicians make their music and there's engineers and producers on the other side of the glass helping the music be better and then they'll provide the musicians with a revenue stream which for music, of course, is sales of an album but for blogs would be advertising sales for the most part. Right. Although later I, I can imagine other ancillary revenue streams as well. The difference between a music label and the business that I'm starting is that the music label owns all the intellectual property rights of of the musicians, right? But I don't own any. And the reason I don't own any is because I don't need to spend all the money for upfront marketing and making CDs and jewel boxes and shipping them around and getting returns and all that crap. So FM, the business that I started, is really about providing a suite of services to bloggers and then turning around and aggregating a bunch of high-quality sites in particular areas like technology and culture, for example, and aggregating them together and facing the marketer and saying, hey, you know, marketer, you're interested in having a conversation with the people that are passionate about these sites, but you don't know how because you can't just go to Yahoo or AOL or someone and say, you know, I want 2 million men 18 to 34 in the last week of August, right? Right. You would like to be able to do that with blogs, but they're too disaggregated, they're too disparate. They all have different voices and they all have different people who represent them. It would be like trying to advertise to the audiences of bands through the musicians, right? Right. You, you have no work. demographics, really, of a, of a blogging audience other than what they... Well, you, you can right. guess at it based off of what they post, but, you know, the conversation goes on, but you really don't so know FM, who's visiting. Exactly. So FM is going to standardize all of that and run surveys and standardize the log analysis and all that good stuff in the background. Um, and FM, and, FM and is federated media publishing. Exactly. Right. And the idea is we are federated as opposed to owned. And the, the sites come together like a bundle of sticks. is stronger than one stick, right? And that allows you also to negotiate a number of deals, for example, with the pay-per-click networks, right? You know, 50 sites representing tens of millions of uniques is a much more powerful force when you're dealing with Yahoo than one site that has half a million uniques. Exactly. Right? That's true for solving comment spam issues, working with standards bodies, you know, lobbying on behalf of or against particular policy issues that might affect independent publishing and all that good stuff. So I've been thinking about this a lot, and I, I think there's something to it. And, you know, I've been talking to a lot of marketers and a lot of bloggers, and, I, and I, so far folks seem to think it's a reasonable idea. What are the first blogs that you're going to be, like, I'm sure you have some lined up in your scope on what mm-hmm. you want to bring up live first, yeah. and then what advertisers you want to attract to those blogs, or 
you know, I guess they come based off of the content of the blog, but give well, us an idea of who's really interested and who you're going to be going after. Well, I haven't announced the folks that I'm working with directly yet, other than Boing Boing and my own site, which are sort of reflective of two categories of sites. Boing Boing is a broader, kind of more general interest site, has a very large audience, and covers a very broad range of topics. My site is a search blog, which covers a very vertical, very focused business-to-business topic, which is search industry. And you can expect that we're going to roll FM out in segments and focus on what I call an ecology of an audience, right? So if the segment is technology culture, then the ecology of an audience would be an audience that generally is one or two degrees within each other across the site, so that you could imagine that a site like Boing Boing might link to a site like Search Blog every so often and vice versa. And there's an ecology of sites that we all sort of either link to or that our audiences might visit. And taken together, there's a broad ecology. So you might see some sites that are kind of further out there that are connected in one way or another. But we're going to have 10 or 15, maybe 20 sites that are all in the technology culture area, some of them vertical, some of them horizontal. And they're pretty well known, but I can't, I unfortunately can't announce them at this moment. Okay, then but we're going to uh, move on to other segments, like you can imagine uh, entertainment, uh, gaming, media, right. travel. Right, health, right. Uh, sports. And there are great, great sites in all of these areas that are written by incredibly talented, passionate authors with great communities supporting them that have yet to figure out their business models and yet to truly find their feet as true publications, and I hope to help them do that. And now the advertising side, though, they got to be, I'm sure you've spoken to a couple of those folks that are real interested in jumping on the bandwagon here. Are you able to share any names of those folks that are able to jump on or that are interested in jumping on? I have spoken to a lot of them. There is, I would say, a a healthy interest. At this point, it's just that, a healthy interest. Um, I think the proxy really is Boing Boing, where we've been running advertising for over a year now and have effectively been sold out that whole year. And what's interesting about this is It's not the traditional approach to selling, which uh, certainly from my point of view as a magazine publisher I've had to live with for the last 15 years, which is where, you know, as I said before, you're begging. Right, you're banging down the door, begging them, uh, promising them tons of eyeballs, all that stuff. Exactly. We're in a blog, it's there. What I found, right, with these sites is that they have what I call a very strong endemic advertising base, which is to say that if you just put a link up on the site saying, please support this site, become a sponsor, you will get a lot of queries inbound as opposed to you going out and beating down the doors of other people. The reason being that oftentimes some of your advertisers are your best readers, and they understand inherently the value of the conversation that's going on at a blog site and therefore are willing to join the conversation in a commercial way as long as it's within the bounds of what's appropriate. And on the other hand, there are national advertisers, many of which I've spoken to, who are very eager to join the blog bandwagon, but are sort of a little afraid of looking like they're jumping on a bandwagon and sort of being, you know, flat-footed or tin-eared about how to do it. And they recognize that there's a lot of power and passion in this new medium. They'd like to figure out how to be part of it, and um, FM is going to certainly try to help them do that. Yeah, it's, it's funny because just, uh, I guess it was a little bit over a year ago, uh, I heard a number of uh, industry experts, I won't name their names, but just talked about how blogging and the blog sites were just going to be dead. It was a dead form of medium. And uh, <laughs> how untrue. I mean, so many misguesses have occurred in this internet space. And, uh, you know, that's yeah. kind of where I wanted to pick your brain a little bit more on, you know, you obviously have a lot of experience from your past experience. And then, you know, I, I wanted to get a little bit about your book that's coming out uh, regarding, mm-hmm. you know, the search age that we're in 
and and the role of the you know the two major players that are you know basically dominating the search. I know your book has Google is named in the book, but of course we have Yahoo Search, and and of, yeah, course, uh, of course, shortly down the road is going to be MSN. Uh, you know, is Microsoft going to jump into the space? So, just give me a couple minutes on where you see the search market, where it's been, where it's going, and and then I'd like to like forward get some like predictions from you on where you think this whole industry is going and where you see the success of the industry and how it's going to be on its feet. In the book, I kind of use search as the operatic backdrop, if you will, for the story of the internet. It's a story that I've been involved in and covered for pretty much since its emergence on the in the public mind. And the web, I suppose, is the best word for it because the internet obviously is quite older. Right. Uh, quite a bit older. But um, Google and Yahoo were both extremely interesting stories. And I focused on Google for a number of reasons, and one of them being that it's still unfolding in a way that you know is remarkable. I think Yahoo is a remarkable company, actually a more mature company in many ways. And Google is fascinating because it's, well, it's the fastest growing company in the history of business, according to uh, Dwight and Touche. And they seem to continue to reinvent themselves, you know, on a regular basis, too, which is very interesting. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. And so in the book, I spend a fair amount of time sort of chronicling the history of both how we got to the point that the stage was set for Google to be successful, which I think is something that people tend to forget, and then how Google took advantage of that setting and took off. There was really a perfect storm in the late 90s, which allowed Google to take off. You had a huge interest in the Internet that was very new, uh, a lot of enthusiasm and optimism. You had uh, a lot of money available. You had a industry which had, for the most part, abandoned the very thing which made the industry what it was, right. was search. So search built the first Internet, and you know people went online. The first thing they did is they went, you know, they went to the Netscape homepage and went to that search box and said, show me something. <laughs> and Netscape built Yahoo and later built Google, and Yahoo then built Google up. So I, I kind of tell all those stories, and then you know the stories of the portal wars where the portals really fought each other basically to keep people on their site, whereas, of course, search is all about moving people off. All right, uh, right. And it was the fact that search was pretty much abandoned after the innovations of AltaVista uh, and Inc. to me in the mid-90s that uh, allowed Google to come in with a very clean interface and say, you know, where do you want to go? Um, I'll take you there. And when people realized that there was an alternative that actually worked, it became a word-of-mouth overnight success. And then they borrowed uh, Overture's business model, which was thriving. People forget that in 2001, Overture was a far bigger company than Google and uh, was, you know, a public company with healthy profits and really the stealth business model of the century. And Google adapted that model to their own service and uh, really took off. And I write a chapter in there that tells the history of Overture, which is fascinating. Bill Gross, who's the founder of Overture, is an extremely interesting guy. Yep, um, I've met him and, myself uh, personally. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he started something like a dozen search-related businesses in his career. And so I tell that story and Yahoo's founding as well, which, you know, Yahoo and Google's founding are extremely um, similar to Stanford doctoral candidates right. who got bored and decided they wanted to do something else. And uh, the only difference being really that one of them was editorially driven, a directory of sites, and the other one was algorithmically driven. Uh, that would be Google with PageRank. So if you look at uh, how the companies have evolved and compare them, it's actually quite interesting to see what they've become um, based on that early DNA, and I do that in the book as well. So the book, uh, tell us where people can get the book. Is it out yet? Now, a couple weeks ago, it was available, but it wasn't. It was available on your it's website? It's available for pre-order. It's available to be ordered uh, online at Amazon, and 
people can go to my site and they'll see a little icon there where I'm pimping my book, <laughs> as all good authors should. Um, and that's at patelmedia.com, right? Correct, patelmedia.com, yeah. Right. So you can order it there, and then uh, it'll be actually available or shipped in early September, which is an eternity for me as things change in this industry so quickly, but I really do focus both on the history as well as the long view of where things might be going. Great. Well, it sounds like it's very interesting. So, you know, before we uh, wrap up here, give us an idea of where you see this business going. You know, from a domain standpoint, and we haven't talked much about domain names, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I have a domain listening audience uh, with a combination sure. of webmasters and SEOs. Give us your, you know, two cents on where you see the future of the domain-related businesses and the related businesses thereafter. First of all, they're the, the domain and the SEO, SEM, and the related pay-per-click industries are really the tens and hundreds of thousands of individuals who are stitching together the fabric that will be the next version of the internet. Search is the sort of the oxygen of the ecosystem and the domain and pay-per-click and SEO, SEM businesses are sort of the nutrients. The seeds are the interesting new companies, right? right? And that are grown in that soil. And so it's a very, very interesting time. I'd say we really are, you know, it's sort of like in 2001, you know, the crops were burned <laughs> and we spent the last couple of years really turning the soil. Right. Now these seeds are put in and uh, they're yeah, starting and to it's sprout. really grow. interesting. I mean, there's all sorts of new businesses, all sorts of new innovations and models built on the backs of the platform that's the web. And I'm still in the process of learning the business, particularly the main business, which is very interesting. Um, Seth Goldstein wrote an, uh, a piece on his blog, Transparent Bundles, which talks about sort of media arbitrage and the role of the sort of domain parking lots paired with AdSense, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting uh, phenomenon. And also uh, spent some time talking to uh, Elliot Noss at uh, Tuckos about this. Or two cows. Or, two uh, cows. Two cows. Yeah, like two cows. T-U-C-O-W-S. And I'm yes. like, Tuckos, you know. I don't have as much of it in the book as I, as I would like, but I see it as the area that is least understood but probably extremely important to sort of the foundational ecology of the Internet. And as to where things are going, I, I just think that the acceleration of the digitization of, of everything is only increasing, and that probably the most important piece of that is mobile. And, and I don't mean that just like the opportunity is to start a business to push stuff back and forth on a phone, but rather the ability for people to take computing to wherever they are and to compute physical objects. And one of my favorite examples related to search is if you were to go into a grocery store and wand the you know UPC of a particular product, and instantly that sends a message to Google or Yahoo or any other service that's understood and presumptive, well, this is a UPC code, I'm sending it out through my local search platform of choice, and it's instantly bringing back, you know, prices in four stores within half a mile of me, telling me information about whether this product was made with child labor or using green policies or, you know, if it applies through some filter or setting that you set up about products you want to buy or whatever. I mean, the options and possibilities are limitless in turn, just in that example of interesting businesses that can be built around that potential. And so I'm convinced that will happen because it can Right, um, right. And, Technology's uh, there already. <laughs> yeah, everything is just pieces being put into place, and that's the beauty of the web. Is You're starting to see these businesses that are built to sort of snap-ons, uh, and where their innovation lies is their ability to innovate in assembly, as opposed to in the late 90s where we had to build everything from scratch. 
and everyone was sort of reinventing their own versions of the wheel. I agree. Uh, and, you know, the, the domain names, you know, are the foundation to all these websites, all the blog sites, and that's the importance of, of having the right domain name and being able to cover yourself. So I can talk to Absolutely. I can talk more uh, with you about that, uh, you know, later because we've been in the domain business for a long time. Before you go, um, maybe just give the listening audience a couple points on uh, being successful on the web uh, from what you've gained in your experience and where you see the industry going. I mean, just give us a couple things to make sure that people remember to do or or to look out um, in the future a little bit and make sure that they cover themselves. So I always like to have my guests mm-hmm. uh, give a couple, you know, two or three tips that my guests made successful and, and to share those with uh, the audience so that they can take that and grow from it. Well, I think transparency is, is one of the sort of things that seems to be, I think, in almost every successful company is the ability to have an open uh, and honest dialogue with your customer base, whether in publishing, which is my field, that means your audience and your advertising partners, but it really works for any business. It is sort of being open and explaining why you're doing things and inviting your community to help you build your business. There's a phrase that we use in the Web 2.0 conference that we run in the fall called the architecture of participation, where we've noticed that successful businesses actually open their business up in some way to allowing their customers to build the business. Right. And, that can be done through is, feedback and you know having ideas in an open forum to, to suggest uh, improvements, or are you looking for... That as well as architecting your business to let your customers build your business. The most sort of you know well-understood example of that is affiliate marketing strategy, of right, course, right. where your customers then find customers for you. But there are many, many other ways, uh, search being probably the granddaddy of them all, because really, if you look at Google, it's just an architecture participation business where they use links as a proxy for everybody's votes. And so everyone's participating in Google by linking to things, right? Right. Whether they know it or not. Um, and um, and so that the, the, the architecture participation idea, I think, is central to any web business. Um, as is this idea of innovating in assembly and realizing that most good things out there now fundamentally are free. It's not really getting, you know, the process of, of locking out other people as it is taking a resource which is almost universally available and making it, assembling it, providing it, offering it, servicing it in a way that's unique. And, you know, the people forget, and I remind people in the news business all the time, that news is free, you know? Right. No one has a monopoly on stuff that happens in the world. It just happens, and you're either there or you're not. And if someone's there who can tell you about it, why, then they're the people who can own the news, so to speak. So it's really not about whether or not you have news. It's about how you package it, assemble it, deliver it, think about it, analyze it, what your voice is. I think that if there's another thing that the web has really taught us, it's that companies need to have a voice. Uh, a unique point of view, an approach that um, resonates with their community. Um, if you're going to be in business, it means you're, you're going to be a leader of a community of customers. And so uh, if you're a leader, you need to have a voice, and that's important to develop. That's great. Well, and this web point, uh, the Web 2.0 conference, is that open to anyone that wants to attend? It uh, is. All you have to do is, yes, all you have to do is request an invitation. It's sort of our way of moderating the input there. But um, you just request an invitation on the website itself, which is Web 2 com web the number two and con or you just search web two conference or something and I'm sure it'll come up. You're the one who's putting on the conference. Uh, yeah, I'm, the, I'm the program chair, which means that I'm responsible for the content of the show, and I'm also a partner in the event. 
Great, great. And the, the dates of the show are? October 5th through 7th uh, in San Francisco. In San Francisco. And um, the expected audience in terms of number of people going to be attending, uh, what are you oh, expecting? 500 to 700 last year. That's what we had. I think we actually hit closer to 700 last year. And I really call the audience the architects of the web. These are the folks who are actually building the next generation of businesses on the web. Right, so it's something you should attend. Well, John, I really appreciate you very much for having me. Oh, yeah, definitely. And again, for all those uh, who are interested, go to uh, battellmedia.com. You can put an order, pre-order in for the book, B-A-T-T-E-L-L-E, media.com. And also check out the Web 2.0 conference uh, coming up in October. John, thanks again for your time, and I look forward to having you on the show sometime in the future. Uh, Maybe uh, do a recap of the conference. Uh, That sounds like fun. Okay, great. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to take a brief commercial break and come back on with uh, Ron Jackson from DN Journal. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Study show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust and nothing creates more trust and loyalty and well-written informative content high quality content also generates free search engine traffic content is definitely king visit infosearchmedia.com today a rose by any other name would still be the same move Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R.com. More than a name. Contrary to what your mother told you, you can not be all things to all people. You can, however, focus on your primary business and ensure your success by outsourcing technical projects to a company who is forward-thinking, solutions-oriented, and works as a complete extension of your organization. No need to do it over and over again. SRK Consulting can develop integrated automation programs, programming in most major languages and operating systems. SRKConsulting.com, making sure your mother is always proud. Commercials off. Now back to Domain Masters. Hey, folks. Welcome back to Domain Masters. What a great opportunity to speak with John Battelle. Um, I didn't know if I was going to get him on. I've, I've worked for the last several weeks since the Webmaster World Conference to get him on, and he's a very busy guy, obviously. So uh, his insight of the web is pretty cool, and where he's been and where he's going is uh, also pretty cool. I saw a great presentation uh, at the Webmaster World Conference. My next guest is uh, not to be outdone either. My uh, friend and editor-in-chief and founder of DN Journal, uh, Ron Jackson, is on board. Ron, what's going on? Well, I just wanted to say, First of all, I really enjoyed listening to John as a web publisher myself. Like, you know, hearing that guy speak was was really awesome. And I I think when you heard what he had to say about the economics of putting a real-world magazine out there, you know why DN Journal is strictly an electronic magazine. (laughs) He's talking about $10 million to start a a print magazine. I think we started in 2003 with a $15 template and a $25 hosting account and a lot of sweat equity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's seen a successful magazine and one uh, that uh, looked like it was going to be successful and and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements 
advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts when the web crashed. <laughs> right. I subscribed to both of those, as you probably did as well. I, I love both of those publications. So, uh, again, it just made uh, a very fascinating interview. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, his insight on the web, on, you know, and the things that will make websites successful is key. I mean, it's not rocket science, but having your customers build your website for you and build your successful business by either, you know, giving feedback and focus and driving the direction of where your business needs to go. And that's kind of where this blogging business is going. Um, people are really putting some really cool content out there, and, and the advertisers are just going to flock to them because it's, uh, it's relevant content, and the audience is there already. It seems like every few months we see some new development like that that's it, almost uh, world-changing in the scope that it has and the potential that it has. Uh, blogging, really, for me, it just been, you know, it's kind of a, an old-school guy. I was just back in the rearview mirror, didn't pay much attention to it. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing cover stories on Business Week about it, and you start realizing what the potential is. And this is another one of those things that makes this such an exciting time to live in and, and such an exciting business to be a part of. Yeah, definitely. So you have uh, an exciting new cover story, I hear and see, on uh, DN Journal of a uh, really key domainer. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the story and about Christopher Chenna? It's a story that has turned out to be one of the most popular ones that we've ever printed. Uh, I think it was also very timely because just two weeks ago, Chris was in the news as the buyer of eight of the top ten domains on our top ten list in a single week. That's never happened before, and, and honestly, I don't know that it would ever happen again. That's an incredible group of domains for a single individual to go out and get. He spent over a half a million dollars that week to pick up names like Paraguay.com and um, employ, uh, my Spanish is going to uh, fail me here, even though I had a couple of years of it back in high school, but Employo. Dot uh -huh. com, which is jobs in Spanish. Yeah. Universidad, University, uh, Ventus.com, which is sales. Before he even bought those, he already owned the Spanish keywords for games and travel. So he was building really a Spanish empire there from his home base in Paraguay that already has taken off and is just turning into an incredible colossus in that part of the world. The amazing thing about it is that Chris is only 27 years old. So I think that's why his story resonates with so many people. Five years ago, he's, you know, a guy with not much money, nothing but a computer, and all he really had was, a, you know, a great work ethic and, and a love of uh, computers and the Internet. And so anyhow, when he made all of that purchase that particular week, I thought this is really a great time to go out and let people know more about who this guy is because they've seen his name pop up repeatedly in the sales reports over the last year or two. So we spent a lot of time talking with him and all the way back to his childhood growing up in Paraguay where his family is just a typical, very hardworking family in that country that was just striving to be middle class, which, you know, in America that would be like this is a middle class country, like trying to be strive to reach the upper class, but in nations like that, you just want to have a lot of the basics of life that we take for granted. And he talked about when he was 
maybe eight, nine years old. All the other kids were into soccer and fights and that sort of thing. But he was much more introspective, interested in science and literature and those sort of things. So when he was 13, his father bought him his first computer, and that just opened up an entire new world for him. And he just, since that age, has thrown himself into that particular field, learning animation, programming, design, everything that he could possibly learn about computers. And by the time he was 21, he opened up his first company, and that took off immediately. All the corporations in Paraguay were just stunned that they could find those services within their own national territory. So Chris had a business that just blossomed, and I think so many people enjoyed the story because he's also such a nice guy and so humble about the success that he's had. If you read that article, he credits just about everyone in the industry except himself for what he's been able to accomplish. So in addition to that rags-to-riches story that we all love, seeing that happen to a guy that has the nature and personality that he has, I think made it something really special for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting his brother-in-law at Traffic West, Cody Carson, but he's also a super nice guy. He's in the business with Chris, and they have a hell of an operation there. And I understand that they're also in the farming business and some other things as well. It's a remarkable story, and it's quite a lengthy article. So, you know, there's no way I can really take you through all the fascinating corners of this career that he has. And and this guy's just starting. It's going to be amazing to see where he's at 10 years from now. Now, So definitely I would encourage people, you know, if they get an opportunity to read it, I haven't had anyone yet who has read that that hasn't come away saying, wow, that was really an inspirational story and just kind of like recharges your batteries to get out there and do something special. Yeah, it basically says, you know, who would ever think that a millionaire would become, you know, somebody who's spending this kind of money and that successful comes from a, you know, I wouldn't say it's a third world country. It's definitely not a very wealthy country and it's not the typical place that an internet guru would spring up from. So it's a it's credit to him and his country and the business that he's doing. Well, there's no doubt about it. You might think that what has become the premier Spanish network would have developed in maybe one of the better known Hispanic countries like Spain or possibly even Mexico. But Chris basically was, you know, he started as a one-man band and gathered some good people around him. But I do think that that's just another feather in his cap that he was able to do it where they didn't have the infrastructure there to do a lot of the things he wanted to do. He had said that Paraguay was one of the last countries in South America to even get internet access. So the guy kind of had the deck stacked against him, but somehow managed to succeed against all all those odds. Yeah, definitely. So bring us a little bit more towards some of the other sales that just occurred over the recent week and maybe over the last couple of weeks. I know the group that Chris purchased, but uh, maybe you can recap some of what you're seeing on the sales front uh, as it's getting pretty active again. Well, things have held up exceptionally well. It's 2005 has been a great year. I kind of keep waiting for it to take a little you know, a breath somewhere along the line, and it just doesn't happen. I would have thought this week would have been it if we were going to have one because being involved in PPC, you know that the July 4th weekend is one of the slowest in terms of internet traffic, so a lot of people saw their PPC revenues drop off, and I kind of thought, well, maybe the buyers will take a little holiday here, too, because they leave the offices like early Friday. A lot of them don't come back till Tuesday or even Wednesday, but we didn't see that. The buyers are still out there. Instead of being on the beach, they were out searching for good buys, and we had a lot of solid sales again this week. Distributor.com was the top sale that was reported to us. Uh, There actually were some bigger ones that weren't released, including one that I know that was in the six-figure range. Outlaws com was right behind that. I don't know if I mentioned distributor went at thirty five thousand at Aftonic. Outlaws dot com just behind at thirty three thousand five eighty three, and right behind that Gustavia dot com at thirty thousand two fifty. We even saw a dot org in the top four. 
Autos.org went for just under $20,000. Oh, wow, nine, that's a nice sale. It is a beauty. 19644 was the total on that one at CEDO. So it's just barreling along. It's such an amazing difference from where we were three years ago when essentially we were going through what a lot of people call the depression in the industry. But we're, I don't know, what, a year and a half, two years now, we've just been rocketing along. And uh, on our front, we've had several good handful of six-figure sales, but again, we can't report them. But I am seeing the same thing on our side at Domain Systems and Moniker. There's some portfolios under the works and uh, some multiple domain name deals being purchased and a lot of private sales going on that are very high. Uh, we're about to do one that's in the seven-figure range, and it's actually over seven figures, $1.25 million for a single-word adult name. So uh, it's uh, getting very interesting again. It's like going back in time a little bit, for sure. What about some of the other extensions besides .orgies? What's going on with .biz, .us, .info? Well, .biz has been, to me, the surprise of the year because, uh, like a lot of people, when that extension came out, it didn't appeal to me at all. It just sounded, uh, we a lot of people say that it sounded cheesy. You know, you hear that a lot. But And again, I'm an old school guy. It's not a word that a corporation would use or an old line business, at least in my way of thinking. But time has a way of passing you buy, new generations come along and have their own dialect. So it's been a huge surprise to me how it's being adapted, but more so by a lot of people thought it would be large corporations that would buy it for business-to-business use rather than, say, business-to-consumer. But where I'm seeing so much action is with small businesses, your mom-and-pop stores in various locations around the world who've been priced out of the dot-com market are apparently looking at this as a viable alternative. In fact, on our new extension chart where we follow .biz, .info and .us. .biz was the number one domain on the chart for the fifth consecutive week with whitepages.biz, which sold for just under 5000 this week. It ended up at 4995 in a sale at Aftonic. And .info is still doing well. It, like, .info dominated that space last year. Now Biz is giving it a run for the money this year. But if you look at our year-to-date chart, the top 50 sales of the year, there are still more .infos in there than any of the other two extensions. But then you've got .us, which has its own bragging rights, because if you look at the top of the chart, three of the very five highest sales are all .us. And actually, it would be four of five, except one that CEDO sold last week in five figures. Mails.us went at five figures, but they weren't able to release the exact price due to a non-disclosure agreement, so it didn't get charted. So all three of those extensions have got you know some things that can make their followers pretty happy. Right, right. What else is going on in the news? Any uh, word on your side or or anything that you've picked up on the .NET extension and what's going on over there? I haven't heard a lot about it other than what everyone knows, that the price is going to drop a little bit. I think the base, well, you're a registrar, but it was going to be about 450 I think, wholesale. Yeah, so, uh, I, the cost to registrars is uh, actually 475 It will be 475 And then, of course, there's an ICANN fee tacked onto that. But uh, it will be lower than the uh, .com price. Do you think most of the registrars will sell it at a lower price then, or would they just keep them about the same? Well, I, I, I know that we're going to lower the price on them a little bit here at Moniker, and because the .NET uh, infrastructure is so important, for those of you that don't know, that there's more DNS servers on .NET servers than there are on .com servers. Uh, as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, every major Fortune 500, or the majority of the major Fortune 500 companies, have their DNS operating on a .NET platform for their DNS. And so that's why that decision to keep the domain, that extension at the registry, was probably made. Uh, they didn't want to disrupt that particular infrastructure because it's been um, it's such a critical piece of keeping critical lives websites up, you know, companies like Microsoft and Oracle and AOL all operate DNS on a .NET platform and not on a .com platform, right. which is very interesting. I, exactly. I mean, as you know, in like the J- 
general sales market, the domain community seems to be split kind of like right down the middle on .NET. There's one side that really hates it and thinks that you just lose way too much traffic to the .com. They don't have an interest in it. And then there's the other side that continues to feel that it's the second best extension and that it has some good commercial possibilities. But looking at our sales this year, I do have to say that we've seen uh, some pretty attractive .NET sales this year. So as far as commercial viability, it definitely doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I personally kind of fall in that camp that I'm a little uncomfortable with it, using it to develop because I I am afraid of that uh, leakage to the dot-com. So, you know, it's an extension that's always bandied about, and I don't know that we're ever going to come to a consensus as to what people think about it. Yeah, it's been an extension that's been, um, you know, squeezed in the middle of a .com and a .org world. And uh, I actually think it's going to revive a little bit. And uh, I do highly recommend that anyone that has a brand, any kind of important brand or any important domain name, if the .NET extension is not registered, go register it right away to cover yourself because it is the third most registered domain name. I mean, it goes back in history from being the alternate extension to .com. And although uh, .de, the German extension, has taken over the second place position in terms of number of uh, registered registrations, it still maintains a third-place position, and then, of course, .org shortly thereafter, and then .co.uk. I will tell you something that I've seen just anecdotally in following the drops each day. There are a lot of domains that I look at that are dropping that are only registered in the .com. That domain that's dropping is the only one that's registered, and I've noticed that immediately after a lot of those domains are picked up, when I go back and check on them, the person who picked it up immediately registered the .NET, just as you're saying. And I'm seeing that more in the past month, I think, than I've ever seen it before. Right, right. I mean, in an age where brand and long-term value of domain names is so important, especially after you hear uh, John Patel uh, talk about how domain names are the foundation of the industry, you don't want to leave any open extensions, in my opinion, but definitely cover your .NET, your .com, your .org, you know, definitely cover your TLDs for that, you know, and of course, uh, the upcoming extension that's driving everybody crazy in excitement and also in controversy is the .xxx extension. Right. And um, that's due out in the fall or the fourth quarter, actually, and we talked a little bit about it over the previous shows. We're going to be a lead registrar on that extension, but there's a lot of controversy around, you know, that extension, and I think it'll be pretty popular when it finally comes out. And right on the heels of that, we're going to have uh, .eu rolling out. Yep, .eu, and of course, we have .jobs and .travel, you know, all coming out, and those, um, for those of you that uh, didn't hear me talk about it last week. Dot travel, dot jobs, and dot xxx are called sponsored TLDs or STLDs, which means that they will have some criteria in order for you to be able to register those domain names. They're going to be sponsored by a particular registry group that will have some criteria that you must fill out in terms of a form and you know qualify the fact that you have the right to own that. They're not going to let it open to the open public, so you'll have to fill out some extra information to prove that you are in, in fact, in the industry, and then they'll do some checks. Have you heard what the respect to .eu, how restricted that would be in terms of Nexus, how much they're going to enforce a local presence in order to register .eu? The word is is that it's going to be open to anyone. The argument behind that, because it's not considered a country code, it's considered you know a, a region code or whatever. It's a kind of a new platform because of the European Union. But um, anyone that does international business, basically... What I'm hearing is that uh, we'll have access to a .eu extension, and it could be registered all around the world. Now, 
how they're going to preference European presence versus non-European preference. I have not heard the details of that yet, but I will find out for sure. And, you know, I probably will have uh, someone from the .EU uh, group on either next week or the week after to talk about that extension and what's coming. It'll be really fascinating because that's going to be the next one that's going to be a generally open extension. So that's where you're probably going to see another one of these big land rushes that we haven't seen now for a few years since uh, Info and Biz came along and .US was opened up to the general public. Right, right. So um, after this cover story, which sounds like a doozy, um, what do you have in line for August, or have you not thought that far? And to let us know what else is going on at DN Journal before we wind up today. We usually try not to uh, set things in place too far ahead because the way things change is, is just unbelievable. So I, I hate to lock myself in, say, to go to a person or a group and say, we're going to run you here and the other person here or the other story here because just such a fast-moving industry that we like to be able to grab a hold of something that's timely. Just in Chris's case, uh, where he was in the news just two weeks ago, you know, we kind of dropped another idea we had and said, you know, we need to go with this, and it worked out great. So actually for August, we don't have anything set yet, but there has never been an instance where there's been a shortage of ideas. We have several that we bandy around, and we'll pick the best one of those as we get closer to the time that we need to actually get down to the brass tacks and write the thing. Great, great. All right, well, uh, Ron, I really appreciate your time today and having you on the show and give us an update on what's going on at DN Journal and the latest cover story. But make sure all of you that are listening, if you want to learn about one of the top domainers in the entire world about Chris Chenna, go to dnjournal.com, read the cover story, and uh, also it's a great place to go on a weekly basis uh, when Ron posts the weekly sales that are allowed to be reported anyway. That comes out every Tuesday, correct, Ron? Every Tuesday night, usually around 8.30 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is when that's posted. Right, and I know a lot of the forums post the sales as well and keep everybody informed about who has the latest sales going on. So it's a great resource to find out what's going on with uh, sales and appraisals and also the latest and greatest in the industry. So I really appreciate your time, Ron, and uh, look forward to having you on again in a few weeks. And we're getting close to another domain conference coming up, Traffic East, Boynton Beach. And so I'm sure you'll be covering the heck out of that in October. We'll definitely be there. Looking forward to that. That thing is, you know, it's so much fun to be there. And, and I can't even imagine what it's going to be like this year. I'm sure the size will be at least doubled. And I can already feel the energy level, you know, building right now. So it's one of those things you just can't wait for those dates to roll around and, and get in the middle of it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we'll catch up with you in a few weeks and definitely appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. And thanks for having people like John on and the other guests that you bring to the community to let us hear them. It's really a treat. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to try to bring the best guys on that I possibly can. So uh, thanks again, Ron. Sure thing. For all you that are listening, we have, I think, the latest archives online now. I think up to a lot of people were asking for the accountant special that I had on regarding how domain names are treated for tax purposes and forming corporations. Uh, I do have that on from Evan Brody that's on our website at moniker.com. It's also available on webmasterradio.fm. And uh, we are beginning the archive or the transcription process. I think we have the first couple shows up that are transcribed in text for those of you that would rather read than listen. Uh, But everything is downloadable to podcast and uh, you can podcast uh, or download our shows onto your uh, MP3 player or your iPod or anything. So uh, and listen to it while you're on the road in case you didn't have time to listen to it during the show. And some of the upcoming events, uh, we're going to be out in um, San Francisco area and actually San Jose for SES in in August. I think it's August 5th through the 7th, I believe, or August uh, 7th through the 10th, I think it is. And uh, we'll be broadcasting live from SES, which is the Search Engine Strategies Conference. And we'll be broadcasting live there and get the latest and greatest on what's going on in the land of search and a couple other shows coming up. So with that said, I really appreciate everybody's time and the listening audience and the participating in the chat room. Come back and see us next week at Domain Masters. 
where you need to be the master of your domain. I'll see you next week. Thank you. WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. It looked like it was going to be successful and, and miserably flop, which was the standard. I remember it was such a cool magazine. And then what happened was uh, they started filling up so much with advertisements and content started going away uh, to save their butts. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.